0: My friends, it's a great blessing for me and then also a joy to present to you Father Brett Brannon. Father Brannan is a priest of the Diocese of Savannah in Georgia, where he is from. He can tell you a little bit more about himself. He was director of vocations for the Diocese of Savannah for a number of years, about 10 years, right? And then he was vice rector at Mount St. Mary's Seminary in Emmitsburg, Maryland, where I was very blessed to go to him for spiritual direction for a number of years. He is now back in his home parish in Statesboro, Georgia, where he is pastor of St. Matthew's Parish, and he is campus minister and chaplain at Georgia Southern University, right? And I can assure you from my own personal experience with him that you are looking at a priest who knows and loves Jesus and knows and loves all of those who love Jesus. That is every one of us. So on that note, he's going to speak to us this evening about fraternal charity. Please give a warm Christendom welcome to Father Brett Brannon.
1: Would you please stand for the words of Jesus? The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne, and all the nations will be assembled before him. And he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. Stranger, and you welcomed me. Naked, and you clothed me. Ill, and you cared for me. In prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and visit you? And the king will say to them in reply, Amen, I say to you, Whatever you did for one of these least brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. A stranger, and you gave me no welcome. Naked, and you gave me no clothing. Ill and imprisoned, and you did not care for me. Then they will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or ill or in prison and not minister to your needs? And he will answer them, Amen, I say to you, what you did not do for one of these least ones, you did not do for me. And these will go off to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. Lord It's a great pleasure to be with you tonight. As Father Planty said, I'm currently a chaplain at Georgia Southern University in a little town called Statesboro, Georgia. We have focused missionaries there, and uh, it's a great Privilege to work with, with college students, especially watching their, their faith grow and uh, the great excitement that they bring to their discussions and their learning. Just a little bit about myself. I mentioned I was a vocation director for 10 years in the Diocese of Savannah and then immediately sent to Mount St. Mary Seminary for six years as vice rector. So I've been in priestly formation working with young men, Helping them discern and also training them to be priests for sixteen of the twenty years that I've been a priest, and uh, it's been a big part of my life. But I'd like to start tonight by telling you a joke, and this is a joke about a man who, a farmer, and he was a man of very few words, very kind guy, and uh, he was married, and he uh, he worked very hard on the farm, and his wife was not a very happy person. And every day she would complain. She wasn't happy about how much money he made. She wasn't happy about the way the house looked. She wasn't happy about the farm. She wasn't happy about anything. And she constantly was negative and, and, and angry at him. The only peace the farmer had was when he went out to plow his mule. He loved his mule and his mule loved him. And every day he would go out and he would plow his mule in the field. It was the only peace that he had. And one day it got to be lunchtime, and his wife brought him his lunch out in the field and he was a humble man. He sat down in the dirt and he started eating his lunch and his wife, she had her hands on her hips and she was just complaining this about that, about this. And finally the old mule had enough. And the old mule put his ears back and he kicked and the mule hit the woman right in the head and killed her dead. Well... They quickly called <laughs> They quickly called the priest and they called the funeral home and they came and they picked her up and they brought her to the funeral parlor. And the farmer put on his best pair of overalls and he was standing next to the casket at the funeral home. And the priest was there and the priest noticed that whenever the men, the women would come up to pay their respects to the old farmer, the old farmer he would nod his head yes like this. But whenever the men would come up to pay their respects, he would shake his head no like this. All night long the police watched this. The the men would come the women would come up and he was he would shake his head nod his head yes, the women Shake his head no. So finally, he walks over to the old farmer and he said, I'm curious, I just noticed, I know you're a man of few words, that when the, when, the men, when the women come up, you nod yes, and the women... Why is that? And he said, oh, Father, it's like this. He said, he said, whenever the women come up to pay their respects, they go, my, she looks nice, she lived a good life, may she rest in peace. And I shake my head yes. And whenever the men come up, they say, is that mule for sale? And I shake my head yes. <laughs> You know, charity, charity starts at home, doesn't it? And the place where oftentimes it's the most difficult to practice it. There was a man in my parish He was about 60 years old, and he told me when he was a child, every night they would sit down to supper. And his father and his mother and all the children... His father would begin, after the blessing, and he would say, now everyone has to say one thing they did today to serve another person in the name of Jesus. And the father would go first, and he would say, today I called a, a colleague who's suffering from cancer and told him I'm praying for him. And then the mother would go, and she would say what she did that day to serve another person in the name of Jesus. And then each one of the children had to say what they had done that day. And he said, you know, he said how children are. You know, it would get to be 5.30 and you'd be running to your mom and say, Mom, is there anything I can do for you? Because I had not done anything yet. (laughs) And they'd do this every single night. And this parishioner said to me, he said, Father, he said, I'm 60 years old. Every night when 6 o'clock comes, I begin to ask myself, Who have I served today in the name of Jesus. That's good Christian formation, isn't it? We are here on this earth because we're followers of Jesus Christ. The only success, Pope John Paul the Great says, recognized by God is Christ-likeness. This is our work, to become like Jesus. And that means to serve other people. Father Planty has asked me to speak tonight about charity both here on our campus as well as how we go out to serve others. I know there are many opportunities that you all have uh, with the pro-life work and with working with the missionaries of charity, feeding the poor, mission trips, etc. St. Bonaventure, one of my great heroes, has a great line. He said, if you learn everything except Christ, you learn nothing. If you learn nothing except Christ, you learn everything. We are here to learn Jesus Christ. And especially at a place like Christendom where that's so stressed, isn't it? Christ-likeness. And my mother used to always say to us, to whom much has been given, much will be expected, quoting the Scriptures, we've been given a lot of gifts. God expects a lot from us, doesn't He? He expects us to bring this love of Christ to others. You know, whenever a new pope is elected, everyone always anxiously awaits the first encyclical. Because, you know, the topic of the first encyclical will generally set the stage the direction of his pontificate. Pope John Paul II, I remember as, as a young uh, high school when he was elected, I remember the first encyclical, Redemptor hominis, Redeemer of Man. The first line of that, that, the Redeemer of Man, Jesus Christ, is the center of the universe and of history. I remember reading that line again and again. Wow. That's what this great Pope is going to teach us. And we all know that When our present Holy Father came to the papal throne, His first encyclical was Deus Caritasas. God is love. And He who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. What a great way to pave the way for the new evangelization. To really try to understand God's love and His call for us. Here's a great definition of love that I'd like for you try to remember as we talk tonight love is to will good to another and to provide that good if one is able love is to will good to another and to provide that good if one is able Jesus is goodness with a capital G that's one of the reasons I love being a priest my job description is to bring people to Jesus and Jesus to people to will good to another and as a priest of course I am able to provide that good. St. Alphonsus of Glory says, if you add up all the goodness of every, all the saints, of every good person who ever lived, it would not equal the goodness of Jesus. What a, what a fascinating statement. All the saints, St. Saint Francis, St. Catherine, St. Teresa, Blessed Mother Teresa, all the saints who ever lived, if you add up all their goodness and put it in one place, it would not equal the goodness of Jesus. Wow. And we are called to become like Him. To love like Him. The Holy Father writes, Pope Benedict, My dear young friends, I want to invite you to dare to love. Do not desire anything less for your life than a love that is strong and beautiful and capable of making the whole of your existence a joyful undertaking, giving yourselves as a gift to God. He says, love is the only force capable of changing the heart of a human person and all humanity. I do a lot of spiritual direction for young people. They'll often come, they'll say, Father, is my prayer working? I'm praying every day, but is it working? I don't know if I'm praying right. I don't know if I'm accomplishing what I'm supposed to accomplish. And I'll say, the answer is simple. The litmus test of prayer is charity. Are you more patient? Are you more kind? Do you forgive more quickly? Do you think about others more than yourself. That's what charity is. And that is the purpose of prayer, to become like Jesus Christ. A number of years ago, when I was in the seminary, um, uh, we had a retreat master, and he told us about a, a book. It's written only, I think, in Spanish. The name of the book, the novel, is Marianella. You may have heard of it. There's a story, a novel, about a young Mexican Mother, She was married and she had four or five children. She lived in very, very poor circumstances. Every day, she would get up and she would bake and cook and then she would take her food to the market to sell. Because you see, her husband was blind, completely blind. And he was not able to do anything. He couldn't help with the housework or he wouldn't. He couldn't help to make money. And so Marianella did everything. She worked, she sold, she took care of the children, she brought the children to church. And every week when she would go and sell her products, she would put aside secretly a few coins in a secret jar because, you see, she was saving her money for something very special. She had heard that there was a special surgical procedure that might be able to restore the eyesight of her husband. And so she did this for years. And finally, she had enough money. And she sent her husband, she told him what she had been doing. And with one of the, she couldn't leave. She had to stay with her children and and her job. But with one of the other men in the village, she sent her husband with the money to the city. And he had this surgical procedure. And it was successful. He was able to see. And the novel describes. How he's walking back towards his little tiny Mexican village, and he's seeing the trees for the first time, and he's seeing what a dog looks like, and he's seeing the grass. And as he enters his village, he sees his little children. For the first time in his life, he sees what his own children look like. And for the first time in his life, he saw his wife. And he saw that she was a rather plain looking lady. She wasn't a beautiful lady. And the novel goes on. Within two chapters, he leaves his wife and he moves in with some young girl across town. Now I'm going to tell you how that story ends if you remind me at the end of this talk. Every Jewish child had memorized Deuteronomy 6. It was called the Shema. Shema, O Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And they would bind it in a little leather phylactery and tie it around their heads and on their wrists. And the very fine scholars of the law came to Jesus to try to trick Him up. And they said, there's so many great commandments. Which one is the greatest? And Jesus basically said... All your, your little seven-year-old children know it, but you don't. Deuteronomy 6, you shall love the Lord with all your heart. And then he he quotes Leviticus 19, the second commandment, to love thy neighbor as thyself. These great commandments of God. When I was a senior in high school, last day, last exam, I'll never forget this as long as I live, I was sitting in class... And uh, the bell had already rung. We were waiting for you know the, the second bell to go and take our final final exam. And all of a sudden, everyone was seated. All of a sudden, the door opens, and a girl in my class comes running in. As soon as she came in, everyone knew exactly what had happened. She was very disheveled, and she didn't have her makeup put on and the things that... that... She was a very pretty girl, but you could tell she had stayed up late studying for her exams. Clearly, she didn't hear her alarm. And she hadn't had a chance to, to take her shower and do those things. I was sitting in the back of the, of the classroom, and when she walked in, a boy in the front of the class, in front of the whole class, her, this girl's name, her name was Renee, he said, gosh, Renee, you look like a witch today. And you should have seen the sword of pain go through her face. It was one of the cruelest things I had ever seen. And then another boy in the second row stood up and he walked to the front of the room and he said, Renee, you are always beautiful to me. And he hugged her. And you should have seen the healing. And I sat in the back of the room. And I shook my head and I said, how in the world can human beings be so cruel and so kind? And the answer is Jesus, isn't it? Jesus is the one who teaches us to love. He is the one who teaches us to care about other people. You know, St. Augustine said a long time ago, God had to write the commandments on tablets of stone because we could no longer read them in our stony hearts. The heart had hardened, didn't it? And every time they would say, but Jesus, what about this? He would say, in the beginning it was not that way. This was not the Father's plan. In the beginning we didn't need all these commandments because before the fall, people understood the greatest of laws. St. John Chrysostom says, Jesus, if You want me, cut the chains that keep me from You. What are those chains? Selfishness. This self-centeredness that's inside of all of us. It comes from just being born and growing up in a fallen world, doesn't it? And our job, with the grace of Christ, is to root that self-centeredness out. Serving others, thinking of others, this is the secret of happiness. Whenever I give... Uh, Retreats. I often talk about what I call the salvation equation. The salvation equation, as I understand it, goes like this. A, the people who do great things for God are those who really love God. B, the people who really love God are those who recognize how much God loves them. And C, the people who recognize how much God loves them are those who meditate on the passion of Jesus. Or they've lived through their own passion. And have chosen, that it make them better and not bitter? See, suffering stretches our heart and it teaches us how to love. That's the reason God permits it. Two hardest teachings. People ask me all the time, Father, what are the hardest teachings in the Catholic Church? And they fully expect that I'm going to say abortion or birth control or one of the, the moral issues. And I always say, very easy question to answer. The hardest teaching in the Catholic Church is that God loves every person infinitely and unconditionally. I spend so much of my priesthood trying to help people believe that truth. Because they don't. For whatever reason, in their childhood, they have such a hard time believing. As St. Thomas says, God does not love us because we're good. He loves us because He is good. So I often say to our seminarians, you know, the, the expression we always use in the seminary, nemo dat, quod non-habit. One cannot give what one does not have. We have to be filled with Jesus, don't we? We have to be filled with Him if we're going to be able to bring Him to others. And that's what we want to do. You know, if you look at the commandments of God, you notice very quickly the first three have to do with love of God. It's the second seven that have to do with love of neighbor. Which one do you think is going to be the most difficult? It's a lot easier to love the God you cannot see than the neighbor you can, especially when they aggravate the dickens out of you, right? It's true. We call people like that saint makers. It's not a, it's not a compliment to be called a saint maker. But it's really true. And it, you know, this is foundational Christianity. Every time we make the sign of the cross, we're talking about the, the vertical bar of love of God and the horizontal bar which is love of neighbor. And we cannot just choose love of God. Many people live their Christianity that way. I'm just going to stay right here and I'm going to worship God in adoration and I'm going to lift up my heart and I'm going to praise Him. If you don't love your neighbor, and the Holy Father says this in Deus Caritas you don't fulfill either command. You cannot separate these two. And St. John Chrysostom, and the quote that always gives me nightmares... He says, you love God only as much as you love your least favorite neighbor. Ouch. Think for a minute about your least favorite neighbor. The person that right now you like least in the world. Maybe you wouldn't call them an enemy. Maybe it's somebody who's hurt you badly. Or and what St. John Christ is saying is that you know we cannot go to heaven until... We forgive this person until we love this person. You don't have to like them. You don't have to invite them to dinner. But you have to love them. And love is to will good to another and to provide that good if one is able. If I were to ask most believing Catholic Christians, you know, do you love God? They would would answer correctly, yes, but not enough. And if I were to say, then what about the second commandment, the second greatest? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? I think most of us would answer honestly, mm, rarely, sometimes, I'm trying. To love our neighbor as ourself is not easy. You know, the three transcendentals, um, the good, the true, and the beautiful, people are attracted to God for different reasons. And... um and when I was in the seminary, I was surrounded by academicians. You know, they all had their doctorates in theology and one another. And we sit down at the supper table, that's all they wanted to talk about is, is theology. And they love the truth, and they're they wonderful teachers. And then there were others. I can think especially when I think about a person like my mother. We were at the beach one day, and uh, early in the morning, I was out on the front uh, deck over the ocean. I was reading my, my breviary, my morning prayers. And my mother comes out. The sun was rising over the sea. And my mother said to me, look, Brett, look how beautiful that is. And I looked up and I said, yeah, it's very nice. And I turned the page. And she went, look. And I closed my bravery and I looked up and I said, you're right. That is beautiful. And I should be more attentive to that. But you know, women recognize beauty more easily than men, because they are beautiful. God made them that way. But you know, of the three transcendentals, the thing that attracts me more than anything else about Jesus is His goodness. If you add up all the goodness of every saint who ever lived, it would not equal the goodness of Jesus. You know, we think about missionaries like St. Francis Xavier, these men and women who they get on a ship and off they go knowing they will never again see their family. They'll never again see their homeland. Off they go not knowing what they're going to find. And I, often, I marvel as I read the biographies of these men and women called to be missionaries. And I think to myself, could I do that? Why did they do that? The love of Christ... The love of Christ impelled them, didn't it? To leave everything and never again come home. Just in order to bring Jesus Christ to people. Seven billion people in the world right now. Only about two billion know Jesus Christ. And that's a great tragedy for us. It's a great tragedy. There's a great book. The book is called called, Ite Misa Est. And it's a, a book about a good friend of mine down in Abbeville, Louisiana. Her name is Jeannie Summers, and she's describing when she was a freshman at LSU back in the early 1960s. And she said that she she went to LSU, and immediately, as sometimes you know, freshmen will start to do in big universities, she became lost. She got into the party scene. She was dating. She was drinking, and she became pregnant. In the second semester, she became pregnant. That was 1960-61. And in those days, of course, she, they immediately would call the parents. And the parents would come up and they would set up an appointment with the priest. And the priest would then talk to them about where this young girl would go for the next nine months to have the baby. And she describes in this book, she said, My parents came up and we went to the priest's office and we sat down and she said, for one hour, that priest talked to my parents about where I would be going for the next nine months. And he never once even looked at me. He never once even looked at me. As if I did not need mercy. In fact, the, the supreme injustice, that the, the father of the baby was walking free around campus with no obligation whatsoever. And she said... When I left that office, I left the Catholic Church as fast as I could, intending never to come back. And it was many years later, as you said, it was through the charismatic renewal that she came back to the Catholic Church, ended up selling everything she had given to the poor. She's a very, very strong missionary for the Catholic Church today. You know, as a formator of priests, I read that and I remember saying to our seminarians, we are dispensers of the mercy of God. Love is not love if we do not show mercy. And I see this, especially, you know, I was reading an article recently about, um, in one of the Catholic papers about something they call dry drunk orthodoxy. You know what dry drunk orthodoxy is? Well, basically this author, you know what a a dry drunk is in Alcoholics Anonymous. A dry drunk is someone who was an alcoholic, but they stopped drinking. And so they haven't touched it for maybe ten years, but they still act like a drunk. They still mean. They still have some of the, the, the mannerisms of a person who's an alcoholic. And this writer was describing some Catholics. And he was saying that some Catholics, they go to Mass and they obey all the teachings of the church and they pray their beads... You know, they pray, pay, and obey. They go to Mass every day, but they don't love. And anybody that doesn't believe in the Catholic Church, to hell with them. Far from the Kingdom of God. If we don't love, we are far from the Kingdom of God. And so I think what we want to think about is that Jesus is calling us to love The way He loves. You know, when I was a child in the 1970s, I disliked immensely going to Sunday school. Now, I couldn't have told you why. I would come home and I would say to my mother, I don't want to go back. And she would say, honey, why not? You're learning about Jesus. Why don't you want to go to Sunday school? I don't know why, I'd say, but I don't like it. You teach me at home. She would teach me from the catechism at home. Well, I was a priest about five years. And finally, St. Edith Stein, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, the great Carmelite who died in a concentration camp. One quote, she explained to me why I hated Sunday school. This is what she said. Tell me nothing about love if it is without truth. Tell me nothing about truth if it is without love. One without the other becomes a destructive lie. And you see, in those days, and these were very sincere, they were doing the best they could to teach us Sunday school. All I ever heard was love, love, love. I was so sick of it. I was going crazy. Love, love, love. I don't like it. And you know, when I came out of the seminary, what I wanted was to bring people truth, truth, truth. And so I remember coming out as a young priest preaching very strong homilies. Sometimes people would leave the church crying. And you know, I wasn't doing Jesus any favors. Tell me nothing about love if it is without truth. Tell me nothing about truth if it is without love. One without the other becomes a destructive lie. And so bringing people Jesus Christ is what we want to do. And that means He is the truth, isn't He? We want to bring Him the fullness of truth. But we want to bring it with kindness. Pope John Paul the Great says that the Catholic faith is to be proposed, not imposed. We're to bring it to people by bringing them our kindness and our goodness. But the greatest charity is to bring people to the fullness of truth, isn't it? We always want to bring people Everything Jesus has given to us. A number of years ago, I had an emergency medical situation. I woke up in the middle of the night and I had pain in my lower uh, uh, right abdomen. And I realized pretty quickly that it was probably appendicitis. I got one of the other priests. They took me to the doctor. I got there about 1 o'clock in the morning. And um, they checked me out and they said, Father, you know, we're pretty sure that this is appendicitis. We'll have to call in the surgeon who's on call. So they got on the phone and they called in the surgeon. And the surgeon came in and his name was Dr. McIncherry. He was a Muslim. And when he discovered that I was a priest, he became very nervous. And he was kind of going from one foot. And he said, "Now, Father, I'm supposed to call you Father, right?" I said, "Yes." He said, "Father." He said, um, "He said, you know, your, uh, your, your appendix is, is about to blow. We're going to have to go take it out." And he said, "We're going to do it with a laparoscope." He said, "I've done this hundreds of times. Should go very, very well." He said, "Now, do, do you have any questions?" And I guess it was the Holy Spirit because I said, "Yes, I have one question. Is there anything I can pray for you for?" And he became very nervous. And he started, and he said, well, Father, uh, um, maybe you could just pray that I do a good job on this surgery. I said, well, I'll certainly pray for that. <laughs> and then he said to me, he said, Father, my daughter, she's 15. And she's going through a really hard time in her school right now. She cries herself to sleep every night. He said, would you, would you please pray for her? and he told me her name and I said yes I will and I did and I started and when I went back about 10 days later for my post-op meeting I asked him I said how is your daughter I've been praying for her every day by name how is she doing and we had about a 30 minute discussion about his family not about my surgery and it occurred to me that one simple question is there anything I can pray for you for Changed our relationship, Dr. Patient. And it shows that basically what I was saying is that number one, I pray. And number two, I care about you. Pope John Paul the Great in his Theology of the Body, he says the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is to use another person as a means to an end. People can't be used. People are too precious. They're too valuable. And think about on this campus, and I'm not only talking about in a sexual way, but friendships why do we we use one another? Sometimes we make a friendship with one person to get to another person, and it's wrong. The opposite of love is not hate, it is to use another person as a means to an end. Christopher West, I'm sure you've heard him speak before, who's a great speaker on theology of the body. I want to use one image, that he, a story that he tells, because it's a very powerful story. When he was first studying the theology of the body, and he was really especially trying to learn not to look at women in a lustful way. And he tells the story that one day he goes and he's sitting on the beach and he's thinking about this. And he says, a very, very attractive woman. And the woman is on a kind of a skimpy bathing suit and she's walking down the beach. And he looks at her and he immediately says, she's a child of God. She's a temple of the Holy Spirit. She's made in the image and likeness of God for her own sake. She can never be used. She can never be discarded. The only acceptable response is love. She's gone. (laughs) And she walked down the beach and then... Another woman came and she was also very pretty. And he began again. She's a child of God. She's a temple of the Holy Spirit. She's made in the image and likeness of God for her own sake. She can never be used. She can never be discarded. The only acceptable response is love. And this went on all afternoon. Different, different girls came walking down the beach. And then he said, he's standing sitting on the beach and another woman comes walking down the beach. And this was not... Uh, a woman that he would have been immediately attracted to physically. She was a heavier woman. And he said, And immediately when I saw her, I turned my head and said, Oh good, I won't be tempted to lust after her. And he said, And the Holy Spirit immediately said to him, What you just did is just as wrong. She is a child of God. She's the temple of the Holy Spirit. She's made in the image and likeness of God for her own sake. She can never be used. She can never be discarded. The only acceptable response is love. We can't turn our head away from someone because they're not what we would think is a beautiful woman or a handsome man. If they're one day old or a hundred years old, they're God's child. And Jesus wants to teach us to love them and to look at them with our eyes so they know we love them the way God loves them. To will good to another and to provide that good if one is able. I never met Blessed Mother Teresa of Calcutta, but in the seminary, three or four times I went where she was supposed to be and she ended up not coming but one day, one of my uh, seminarians across the hall went to Washington, D.C. where she was to be. And he came back and he came into my room in the seminary. I'll never forget this. And he sat down in my bed and he said, I've got to tell you, I met Mother Teresa today for the first time. And he said, I said, tell me about it. He said, well, after the Mass was over, she came down and we were all dressed in our clerics and we were sitting in the front row. And she came down and she took my hand and she looked me in the eyes and she said... Nice to meet you. Three seconds. And he looked at me and he said, I have never felt so loved in all my life as in those three seconds. And I said, wow. I want that. I want to be able to look at a person, old, young, doesn't matter, male or female, And they know that I love them like God loves them. That's what Jesus wants to do in all of us. He wants to give us that gift of our integration of body and soul. And He can do it with His grace. Only He can do it. One of the young women who comes to me in spiritual direction, she's trying very hard. She's a college student and she's a pretty girl. And she she came to me one day and she said, Father, you know how we talked about whenever I meet someone, I should look them in the eyes and ask them sincerely how they're doing and listen patiently. Show them that I care about them. I said, yes. She said, Father, this is causing me lots of problems. (laughs) And I said, well, why is it causing you lots of problems? And she said, well, Father, she said, when I go up to a, a guy... And I'm just trying to love them like Jesus loves them. And I look them in the eyes. They think I'm romantically interested in them. And then the drama begins. And I said to her, I do see the problem. But here is my advice. Love them anyway. You know, love and suffering are mystically related, aren't they? God is stretching our hearts. Suffering without love is unendurable, but love without suffering is meaningless. Love without suffering is meaningless. So, our Holy Father, Pope Pope John Paul II, he talks about the family as an intimate community of life and love. You know what? That's what this community should be a community of life and love where no one uses anyone else for any reason whatsoever, in any way whatsoever. Because the opposite of love is not hate. And to be Simons of Cyrene for one another. That's what we do as Christians, isn't it? A lady taught me this one day. She came in to see me. Oh my gosh, this woman was the regular Job of the parish. And her marriage was a mess. Her children were a mess. Her finances were a mess. She had sickness, cancer. She had all, everything. And she came in and she sat down. And she talked to me for one hour. I'm just a young parish priest. And I listened and I tried to be compassionate. And at the end of the hour, she said to me, Father, thank You for being a Simon of Cyrene for me. And I said, I don't understand. She said, don't you understand? She said, I came in here today carrying a very heavy cross. It was crushing me. And I gave it to you to hold. And for the last hour, you've held it for me. I know you can't keep it. I know I have to take it with me. But I just want to thank you for being a Simon of Cyrene. Isn't that what we do as Catholic Christians? We care about each other. We reach out to each other. We get out of ourselves and we get over ourselves. So St. Vincent de Paul, I know I have to come to an end here and I want to open it up for some questions. St. Vincent de Paul once said that he believed at the individual judgment when we kneel before Jesus. He believed that every poor person we ever served would stand behind us. And give testimony to Jesus that we served them in His name. I like that very much. Every poor person we ever served would stand behind us at our judgment and say, Jesus, I know He may have sins, but let me tell you what He did or she did for me. And I really, I really believe that's true. The challenge. I'd like to invite you to leave you is I'd like to invite you to make two resolutions for this semester. One resolution to commit yourself to love in some way you have not loved before here at home on this campus. Reaching out to someone, loving someone, and usually not the person that's easiest to love, is it? And the second one is to make one resolution. To serve another person in the name of Jesus off of this campus. To go out and bring the great gift that you have at Christendom. The great gift of our Catholic faith. To bring it to the world. Because the world desperately needs it. I suppose you'd like to know how the story ends, wouldn't you? Well, Marianella, after her husband betrayed her horribly and moved in with a younger woman, she began to pray for the grace to forgive. And she suffered intensely because it was a tiny little Mexican town and she could see them together across the market. And the women would talk, the men would talk. But she forgave. She kept saying, I'm sorry. She kept saying, Lord, I will to forgive him. And I I can't hate. And at the end of the book, his girlfriend dumps him. And he's never worked a day in his life. He doesn't even know how to have a job. And so he's literally living on the streets. And the last chapter, he starts walking back toward the house of his wife, Marianella. And he knocks on the door. And he asks her if she'll take him back. And I'm reading this book and I'm like, don't do it, don't do it. (laughs) And then I'm going, What are you saying? You're a priest, you're a Christian. You don't want her to do the heroically holy thing. You don't want her to do to, to, to love like Jesus loves. And the book ends. She takes him back. She forgives them. And you turn the final page and you realise Marianella has become a great saint. Because she chose to love. She refused to hate. And she's become a great saint through that suffering and that love. Love always wins. It always wins. It's stronger than hate. stronger than sin. It's stronger than Satan. It's stronger than death itself. The love of Jesus brought Him to His resurrection and the love of Jesus will bring us to ours. So let's try to love God and then do whatever we want. Let's ask Jesus for the grace to love the way He loves. And I close with the words of our Holy Father, Pope Benedict. He says, Are we not perhaps all afraid in some way? If we let Christ enter fully into our lives... If we open ourselves totally to Him, are we not afraid He might take something away from us? Afraid to give up something significant, something unique, that makes life so beautiful? No. If we let Christ into our lives, we lose nothing, nothing, of what makes life free, beautiful, and great. Only in this friendship are the doors of life open wide. Do not be afraid of Christ. He takes nothing away. He gives everything. And when we give ourselves to Him, we receive a hundredfold. Open wide the doors to Christ. Open wide the doors to Christ. And you will find true life. Amen. Praise be Jesus Christ. Thank right. you.